What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Mike and Dave Podcast. This is Dave, and this is episode 47, aka the Tom Glavin episode. And we've got a very special episode for y'all today. We're going to be wrapping up our top five mini series that we've been doing where we've named our, each of our top five NBA players at each position. So we started with the centers and have worked our way down now to the point guards, which is going to be the feature of today's episode. So definitely looking forward to that, seeing what Mike, uh, who Mike has picked and see his reaction to my picks as well. But before all of that, we've got to do off the top, Mike's turn to come up with a prompt for this episode. So let's hear what he's got. Hey everyone, this is Mike, and let's talk about, we're already going to talk about the NBA later on, let's just start with the NBA right now, because the NBA trade deadline is approaching. That is uh, Thursday, February 9th, the trade deadline is officially like 3 o'clock p.m. that day, and you know, this is always an exciting time of the year, um, I know Dave and I always love like looking up like or just tracking like who's moving where, especially if there are big names on the market. Of course, this is like when analysts love to make headlines, right? Oh, I need to write an article about why Bradley Beal needs to get traded. Sure, this article gets written every year, but I'm gonna be the one this year, you know. Um now this year is particularly interesting to me. Uh looking at the standings. Um, here's a list of teams that are more than five games behind, like getting in the play in the Spurs, the Rockets, the Hornets, and the Pistons. The other 26 teams in the NBA are at least, or like are no worse than five games away from being in the play in tournament, which is crazy. Um, additionally, 22 of those 26 teams are within five games of the sixth seed in either direction. So we've got a lot of parity right now, uh, which kind of blurs the lines between buyers and sellers, right? Usually there are like eight, nine, ten distinct teams that are like, oh, time to blow it up or time to, yeah, we can't win right now, so we got to move this player. And that's not quite the case right now. So I kind of have a like season specific version of this for you and a more like general, I guess like philosophical one, but the philosophical version is like how good or I guess bad do you think a team needs to be to consider themselves buyers or sellers? You know, like, does that make sense what I'm getting at? Like, okay. So why don't we shoot for that part of it first? Well, I'll just tell you the specific one in case you just want to like blend them or whatever. The specific version of this is like, do you think there are team, like what teams are you thinking about right now that should be thinking about buying or selling at this point? Okay. So first of all, I think the NBA is one of the, I think if you look at baseball, for instance, realistically, I think any team going into the playoffs has a a pretty good shot at winning the whole thing um, or at least getting pretty deep into it. NFL is somewhat the same, mostly because it's just one game 
NBA, it really does feel like it comes down to the top few teams every year. Like there is rarely a time where one of the favorites doesn't end up winning the whole thing. And so in my mind, if you're in the play-in tournament, like you're probably not winning the finals. Like that's, I mean, some franchises are going to have a different, like different goals or different ideas of of success than others. So for instance, there, there might be a team. Let me look here. might be a team like um, the Pacers, for instance, the Pacers are one of those teams that seem like kind of in between. They could move like Buddy Heald, Miles Turner, but at the same time, they're actually playing kind of well right now. And then they and they've got some good pieces um, like Halliburton. Right now, they're like ninth in the conference. Are they looking like maybe they want to keep those guys and maybe even add someone uh, to try to make it into the playoffs? and take that next step? Or do they think, nah, this is all like a smokescreen. We like, you know, Benedict Matherin and Tyrese Halbert and stuff, but we can probably get rid of some of these older guys and um, try to tank for Wimbanyama, which is, again, one of the things I wanted to bring up too. It's kind of crazy that like this Victor Wimbanyama guy is being touted as like the best prospect um, in like decades, basically. And we don't have, we only have like a few teams that are really in the quote running for him, um, which I think is surprising. What, what we could see is quite a few of these teams that are kind of hanging around towards the, you know, the bottom of, of each conference, or maybe even in the plan, try to break things up a little bit and be sellers so that they can have a chance at Wimbenyama or even Scoot Henderson, because both those guys have been uh, are looking like you know potentially generational talents. So, in terms of the philosophical question, it really depends on the franchise. But in my opinion, I mean, you have to be one of the top few teams in each con- in each conference in order to actually think that you have a chance um, to win the whole thing. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I imagine it's been a very long time since like a, a bottom four seed or even with the plan, um, like bottom four seed or below have like made it and won the finals. So I don't know. In my opinion, that's that's kind of how it how it goes um, in terms of teams that should be. You asked if teams were like buyers or sellers, right? Like if I had specific teams in mind. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I feel like the Mavericks have to be a buyer. Like, they got to get Lucas some more help. Dinwiddie has been, eh. Christian Wood has been streaky. He's had some good games. He's had some bad games. Um, With the kind of performances that Luka is putting out right now and the MVP-like season he's having, I think they've got to try to go for it a little bit more, especially because the Western conference, like the nuggets and the Grizzlies are kind of in a league of their own right now. But at the same time, I think that the Mavericks, like they, they need to try to go for it and and make another move. Um, not just for this year, but theoretically a guy who could partner up with Luca 
for the foreseeable future as well. Um, as far as sellers go, like, honestly, I'm looking at the Raptors. It's just not really working. I think that they have a, f- a few pieces that look like long-term fits on their roster, but I mean, 2019 wasn't that long ago, but it feels like a lifetime ago. Uh, and to me, I just don't see this combination of players working and being like getting to the top of uh, the Eastern Conference and really competing. So maybe picking and choosing and deciding these are the guys that we want to stick with and maybe here are the guys that we can get rid of because you've got some players that are generating a lot of interest like OG. Um, Fred Van Vliet is going to get a new contract. I don't know if they're going to give it to him or not. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, the Raptors could be one to potentially sell as well. And then the Bulls, I'm also looking at them too. They're in, like, you look at the star power and the, the guys that they have and you think, actually, like they probably should be competing for a you know top five, six seed. Right now, they're chilling in 10th, losing record. And there seems to be some like discontent in the organization and stuff too. Like honestly, in, in my opinion, if you want to pick, like if you if you believe Zach Levine is going to be your, you know, your number one option or whatever, and trade DeRozan, Vucevic or whatever, um, I could see that being something that that they could look into, but just those teams that that have been together for two, three years that haven't really made any significant strides, like low-key, I, I feel like they should probably just blow it up because in the NBA, it's just, in my opinion, the the big, the big dogs always eat, you know? <laughs> yeah, so a couple of things. Um, like when you were talking about, you know, there's – not often like a, I guess a Cinderella to get behind. Um, historically, very accurate. So, um, I did some some quick research while you were, um, once you brought that up, and blathering on. I have a breakdown. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have a breakdown for you. Uh, num the number eight seed has never won the championship, nor has the number seven seed, nor has the number five seed. The Rockets won once as the sixth seed, and I'm sorry, I don't have the years in front of me, but um, they won once as the sixth seed. Uh, the Celtics won once as the fourth seed. So that's it. The other, the other, I guess, 73 championships out of 75 have been won by one of the top three seeds. The number one seed wins two-thirds of the time, number two, 21.6, and number seven, 9.4. So, huh. yeah, basically, if you're not a top three seed, you are two times but never not going to win. Dang. So I, I yeah. knew I <laughs> knew that, like, I was on to something. I did not realize that it was that drastic of a split of, yeah. like, if you're in the... Because I was saying, like, bottom four seed, like, traditionally, that's been five, six, seven, eight before the play in tournament. I was like, I just feel like I don't really remember 
that that happening, at least in term, you know, as long as I've been following the NBA. And it really does seem to be, I mean, whatever team LeBron was on or the Warriors or whatever, um, for the past few years at least. And yeah, it's, or I guess Giannis too. But it really does seem to be a top five-ish superstar uh, and their team that does really well in the regular season. Like it just seems to those those teams continue to exert their dominance on the rest of the league in the playoffs too. Um, so with with that data in mind, like if you're not close to you know thinking that you can compete with the the big dogs, then maybe you should look into selling, uh, especially <laughs> with the freaking price you have to pay these days in terms of first rounders. Like, I mean, I like OG Ananobi for sure, but these rumors of like three first rounders for him is just kind of crazy. So I don't know. I feel like it probably pays to be a, a seller more than a buyer. Um, especially like you said, with the parody right now, and there only being a few teams at the top. Yeah, so I, I end up finding the year the Rockets as the six seed won in ninety five, the Celtics won as the four seed in nineteen sixty nine. So the the last twenty eight straight years and then a twenty six year period in the in between yeah, in between those two. That's like the spread for it being a top three seed. So going back to the standings, uh in the east we have the Celtics, the Sixers, and the Bucks. Um now, the Nets are a half game behind the Bucks. The Cavs a game behind them. So, like, you know, that's close, right? You know, by a, who knows what it could look like. I mean, I would bank on those three teams being on the top. I think they are the clear three best teams in the East. But still, like, the Cavs are in the running up there. But, yeah, when we get down to, like, oh, well, there's the Pacers and the Bulls, and they're going to, they, if it started today, would be in the play-in. It's like, yeah, but are you really going to make noise against Boston, Philly, or Milwaukee? No. Then in the West, like Denver, Memphis, Sacramento's up there. That could, I don't know how long that's going to last, but let me just say Mike Brown has been doing a great job coaching there. Um, Yeah. As for what you said about like, it depends on the organization. Yeah, because like, if you're the Thunder and you like crack the play in, great, you know, because y'all are working on ascending. But if you're like, there because you tried something big and it isn't working out like Chicago. Yeah. Blow it up. You, your efforts have a very fine expiration date. Um, I think the Clippers is the only other team that I would mention. Like y'all have got to try something. Oh, and the Warriors, I guess. Cause like you got to capitalize on Steph still being Steph and just get as many rings as you can, I think. But if you're the Clippers, you got to do something. We, We've been sitting around for years like, oh, yeah, well, we have Kawhi and we have Paul George and they're on the roster. So, like, we're competitive if they're healthy, right? And then you never get anywhere. <laughs> like, something has to happen. Mm -hmm. But and, and these days with the, like, as, as long as we, like, get into the playoffs, it doesn't really matter as long as our, like, stars are healthy or whatever check the stats that we just told you like it doesn't seem to work that way it's the teams that do the best in the regular season that carry that success over into the playoffs like that's 
basically how how it works. So, yeah, the Clippers. Um, I know we. I can't remember exactly where we put them in our um, preseason tier list, like going into last year, but I think it was way too high. And going into this year, I was just like, I need to see it first before I'm gonna go ahead because I think the media are just like, yep, like the majority of the media are like, oh yeah, pencil them in top four seed. They've got Kawhi, Paul George, Zubots, like they're set. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and uh, then they just never, it just never seems to, to happen for him. So the Clippers are definitely a good example of theoretically they should be there, but for whatever reason, it, it doesn't seem like that's the case. So, but if you've got two players like that, you can't really blow it up. Yeah. Now, because of the trade deadline being on February 9th, of course, our next episode is going to be coming out uh, February 10th. So episode 48, we'll talk about significant moves. You know, if, um, I don't know, if Aaron Holiday gets traded, you know, we're probably not going to bother. But like, you know, we're here for the bigger ones. So keep an eye out for that. But with that being said, I think that's all that we're going to address about the NBA trade deadline for now. When we come back, we'll talk about our top five point guards in NBA history. So stick around for that. All right, y'all, it's time to get into our next segment, top five, where we're going to get into each of our top five point guards of all time. If you haven't already, make sure to check out the previous iterations of this Um and we've really enjoyed doing this so far. It's all come down to this, uh, the point guards, which I feel like could potentially get interesting. So we'll see. Um, but Mike, I'll go ahead and kick it over to you. Who do you have at number one? All right. Number one, this is the easiest decision on my list. It got progressively harder after this. Uh, number one is Magic Johnson. The orchestrator of the Showtime Lakers, one of the best teams in NBA history. What could Magic Johnson not do? Shoot threes, I guess. But otherwise, uh, dude was a straight-up legend. Uh, Five rings, three finals MVPs uh, to go along with three regular season MVPs. Nine-time All-NBA first team, 12-time All-Star. Sixth all-time in assists, however, asterisk. I'm sure you are aware of his illness that uh, put him into early retirement. That happened at age 31. So sixth in all-time assists at age 31, basically. Uh, Yeah, imagine had he not contracted uh, an illness, then he would have... conceivably played for another five six years maybe would have been number one in assists uh not to mention could have potentially acquired more rings more mvps etc uh six nine point guard what a beast uh what a what a menace to see that like like i'm just thinking like oh i'm a a six two point guard in the 1980s and my matchup today is six nine magic johnson what a terror. Uh, I just want to share like one uh, moment from his career that always stands out to me. 
and that's his rookie season, the 1980 NBA Finals, Game 6 against the Sixers. Kareem goes down with an injury. So who's going to play center? How about rookie point guard Magic Johnson? So he steps in against Daryl Dawkins, who, while not a top five center of all time by any means, was an imposing force as a center. I mean, he was one of the best players on that team that made it to the finals. And Magic bullied him? <laughs> like, uh, out-rebounded him, outscored him, held him to like what I think was his worst game of the series. Uh Helps get the Lakers that win, ends up winning finals MVP as a rookie for that performance. And that just goes to show you like, oh, yeah, he's a point guard. But yeah, we'll just put him wherever we want on the court and he will succeed. For sure. What's funny about that season, too, is that even after all that, he still didn't win rookie of the year because Larry Bird won it. (laughs) It's like, what do I have to do? Um, but yeah, that that whole rivalry is um, a, a really fun one, a really interesting one. Um, yeah, Magic definitely, uh, I think in terms of pure like point guard and playmaking, I think he's got to be number one. However, he's not my number one. That might be, this might be like, uh, you know, controversial call from me but in my opinion Steph Curry is the best point guard of all time and I think that case will only be solidified for as long as he plays Um, I think it's easy to forget at least for me that he's 34 um, and he's actually going to turn 35 in March so he's getting up there, um, but it doesn't really feel like he's been around for that long, but he really has. Um, yeah, Steph Curry, in my opinion, has got to be one of the best basketball players I've ever seen um, that has ever played the game. And I think Magic has to be up there in that conversation as well. But where Magic had the playmaking, Steph had the shooting. And I think as like, amazing as the Showtime Lakers were and as amazing as Magic was during that time, there are only a couple of other instances in NBA history where one person has had such an impact on the game to where it basically changed the fabric of and the landscape of the game. And one of those people is Steph Curry with his ability to shoot the three and not just shoot the three, but shoot the three from basically anywhere that he wants. Um, in terms of, I mean, you talk about like the eye test and everything. I think between him and Magic, it's kind of hard because both of them are very similar in the fact that they play with a lot of flair and a lot of style, but it really is in different ways. Magic is like, you just think of him on the fast break, um, you know, trying passes that not many other players would even have the imagination to try. Um, and then on the other hand, you have Steph with his like unbelievable dribble combinations or just pulling up from almost half court, um, in deep rainbow threes that you just think, no way did he just do that? And then it goes in. 
Um, so I think it, it really is like the beauty is in like the eye of the beholder, or whatever, as far as the eye test goes. But for me watching stuff, play basketball and watching the warriors, um, that's like the pinnacle of the sport for me, at least in my lifetime. So I think there, there is some, um, recency bias and like the fact that I didn't see, I didn't watch magic play <laughs> cause I wasn't alive, but the fact is that he, like that Steph, I think even that aside has a case. Um, obviously he's won the, the four championships, um, two time MVP, eight time all-star, which seems low. It really does. Like when I was looking at this, I was like, surely he would have been all-star more times than eight times, but he has, he has more time to, to get more of those. Um, been named to an all NBA team eight times as well scoring champion a couple of times and I've got to talk about his 2016 season where basically the only blemish on that season was freaking LeBron and Kyrie <laughs> um which like shout out to them cuz I don't know how but they somehow managed to beat that Warriors team and somehow managed to beat Steph that season has got to be the best season that we've seen from a player in like modern times. I mean, he he got the 50-40-90 club, won MVP, led the league in steals. Like, just an unbelievable season um, from him. And like, it, it was basically like people couldn't believe what they were seeing. Like, he had been good before that, but... That season, he just took it to an absolute, like, another level. And I honestly, that's, like, the pinnacle of, like, modern basketball to me. So, I think that, obviously, like, I can't argue with Magic being number one. I think for a lot of people, that would be the case. But for me personally, Steph just barely edged it for me. And I think that gap will just get a little bit bigger over time. And it is kind of hard to like or maybe unfair in a way but the fact that magic only played the amount of time that he did does kind of work against him a little bit um obviously like it's not his fault but it does kind of work against him in the fact that he wasn't able to rack up any like additional stats and um rings and anything like that and he does have one more ring than than steph but steph's not done yet so uh yeah, so I, I had to go with Steph at number one, but it was really, really close. And I, I think, in my opinion, you could go either way. Yeah, um, Steph is my number two. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that your number two is magic. Uh, uh-huh, that is correct. Yeah, uh, what you said, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, we were going to have the two uh, as one and two in some order. Right. Uh, it's just a matter of like, I guess I put magic at number one for the playmaking as I'm thinking about a point guard and then, you know, uh, being able to do everything, I guess, ironically, except shoot threes. Uh-huh. And then we talk about Steph Curry with the threes. Um, but a couple other things I want to say about Steph. Well, I completely agree with you about his impact on the game. I would, I would venture to say, that no player in history has impacted the game as much as Steph. Uh, like, 
mid-range jumpers <laughs> like aren't supposed to exist anymore because of Steph Curry. Uh, little kids in ballparks across planet Earth are shooting. Th- I mean, sure, we talked about with the shooting guards, like um, saying Kobe when you throw a paper ball into a trash can, right? But that's like kind of like a, I guess, more of a cultural thing than it is like a basketball thing. I, I feel like that made more sense in my head. But like kind of everyday life mm-hmm. versus like you go to a basketball court. This is how people play now uh kids all across the planet want to shoot threes not only shoot threes they want to shoot 30 footers um no one makes cuts to the basket anymore i guess no one is harsh but the game is completely different than it was 15 years ago because of steph curry yeah and what i'll say too to steph's credit is that he is not like i'm not taking anything away from him he is a world-class athlete, but in terms of like a basketball player, I feel like he's relatable because he is not the biggest guy. I mean, we've seen him, we've seen him dunk it like a few times, but like barely Um, he's not, he's not huge. Like magic was a six, nine point guard, right? It just kind of, he kind of had this own mystique about him that like, it's kind of hard to touch, but Steph is relatable. in the fact that you can look at him and be like, if he was just walking, if you were just like in target or something and you just saw him walk by and you, you know, you weren't a basketball fan, you had no idea who he was. You would not necessarily think, Oh yes, this is a basketball player. If you saw magic, you'd be like, yep, that he, if he doesn't play basketball, you should uh, type of situation. But Steph, he's just kind of relatable. And like, you don't have to, be this athletically gifted like freak of nature like lebron um like magic like like whoever um instead you can just work on in like the technical side of it and tighten up your handles uh you know find your form and and shoot threes like use your iq like use the the tools that you do have i think that there's something to be said for that to where it just kind of made it more accessible to people who aren't necessarily like the tallest or the biggest. I'm going to mention another point guard real quick, just because it's relevant to what you just said. Um, My favorite player growing up was always Steve Nash uh, from the time I was a kid and like wanting to get better at basketball and everything. And I think a big part of what drew me to him was what you were getting at there. Like conceivably I could be like Nash, right? Not like in the terms of like, Oh, I'll be that great at basketball. But like the things he does on the court, you know, he got to where he was based on like practicing based on technique, uh, based on IQ, right? I can study, I can practice, I can be about that size. Maybe, (laughs) you know, if I hit, if I get a couple more inches, I'm there, but like watching Kobe, or watching Jordan highlights. Yeah, I knew I was never going to be that. I was going to be flying through the air, dunking on everybody. Uh, so there is this aspect, and this is probably what uh, a big part of why so many kids are doing this. Like These kids know they're not going to start dunking, but they can eventually shoot 20, 25, 30 feet away from the basket. You know? uh, so yeah, there's absolutely that. Also, with the 2016 NBA season, that's when he uh, won his second 
of the back-to-back MVPs, the only unanimous MVP ever. That's wild, right? Jordan was never unanimous. Magic, never unanimous. Steph, they looked at him and no one thought, yeah, someone's better than Steph right now. Mm -hmm. It was just like no one had ever seen anything like it before. Like, and he had one MVP the previous year. (laughs) Like, it's somehow like there was no voter fatigue there. There Everyone's like, okay, let's face it. (laughs) Yeah. Like we cannot deny the fact that we are watching greatness. Um, and someone who is doing something that we have never seen before on a basketball court. So, yeah, I mean, I, th- I feel like that that says in and of itself what you need to know about him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also, when he came in the league, defensive liability. The man's worked on it. You know, I mean, you mentioned the the season leading the league in steals, and sometimes that can be a little deceptive. You know, like, I guess if you're playing the passing lanes, but then getting scored on, you know, that doesn't necessarily make you a great defender. It makes you kind of more of an opportunist. Um, yeah, he's not, you know, he's, he might still be the one you target just by process of elimination. Cause like, he's not like clay or anything, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't call him a liability. He's solid, you know? Um, so I respect that he is like, one of the greatest offensive forces that we have ever seen, probably will ever see. But he also put in the time and effort to work on his defense. He saw a weakness. He worked on it. He successfully uh, improved and eliminated that major hole in his game. And I absolutely respect that too. At number three, I can just talk about a piston. Isaiah Thomas. Okay, so we we know the whole, like, uh, 80s were dominated by the Bulls, Lakers, and Celtics. Well, Isaiah Thomas, the guy to sneak in two championships back-to-back, 1889 and uh, 1990, uh, leading the Pistons to championships amid all three of those teams being not just good, historically great. Like, who is leading those teams? A bunch of guys that we've already talked about on this podcast in our other top fives. Uh, you had Magic and Kareem over here. You had Jordan and Pippen over here. You had Larry Bird and Kevin McHale over here. I mean, we didn't really mention Kevin McHale, but Hall of Famer. Um, yeah. Among others on that team as well. Goodness gracious. Um, it's almost hard to believe, relatively speaking, that he snuck two in, especially back to back. And he had that ankle injury in that, in what would have been the third season there. Uh, who knows if he would have uh, gone for the three-peat. I kind of find that hard to believe, but it's worth putting an asterisk there. Career 19.9 assists player. The issue is he lacks MVP or an MVP selection. Um, three-time All-NBA first team, 12-time All-Star. Uh, yeah, it's kind of hard to tally up MVPs playing amongst the players I just listed, especially when one of them we've already mentioned as being a top two point guard in NBA history. You play the same position at the same time as him. That's tough. But looking at the success that he had amongst the competition that he had, uh, yeah, Isaiah Thomas has got to be a lock for number three for me. Okay. That is not surprising to me. I I know that you, you have a soft spot for, 
the Pistons, uh, especially those teams. So I'm not surprised that you had him at number three and also that you had him higher than I do. Uh, if I have him at all, we'll see. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> number three, it had to be Oscar Robertson for me. Um, and this is one of those where you look at, like you start weighing championships and you like, obviously magic has the five Steph has the four. Um, and to go along with the fact that they were, you know, arguably the best playmaker and best shooter ever, like it's pretty self-explanatory. Now you're getting into more of like, what do you gravitate towards? And like you were just saying for Isaiah Thomas, it's the fact that he was able to win multiple championships, back-to-back championships in that era of NBA basketball where it was so competitive. And the fact that they didn't necessarily have the star talent like that some of these other teams had. Um, and fair enough, I could not deny Oscar Robertson's stats. Um, and again, th- these are very different eras of NBA basketball. So it all has to be taken with a grain of salt. But with that being said, 26 points, seven and a half rebounds, nine and a half assists per game. Um, he did win one NBA championship in 1971 with the Bucks. He has won MVP award, 12-time All-Star, um, Rookie of the Year, 11-time All-NBA, led the NBA in assists six times, and really, until Russell Westbrook came along, was the like triple-double king. Um, and, I mean... Russell Westbrook has got to be one of the most polarizing players in NBA history for me. <laughs> um, and I'm, I feel like that could be a different segment another time. But for Oscar Robertson, like in his era, uh, was kind of the first in a few things. He was the first like bigger guard at 6'5". Um, in, before that, like people who played you know, the guard position were typically speaking, you know, more towards like 6'2", 6'1", or even smaller than that, like going back even further um, when the NBA was just kind of kicking off. But he averaged 30.5 points per game in his rookie season. Um, You know, he averaged a triple-double in a season, um, which is the first time that had ever happened until Westbrook also did it. And considering the fact that there was no three-point line when he was playing, I don't see any reason, based on the way that he played, that he wouldn't have been able to develop a three-point shot. In my mind, I think of that era, arguably the best guard that the league had seen. Um, And so I think because of all the statistics, um, the fact that he did get one championship, one MVP, um, and also was just so like dominant for his position in that era that I had to put him a number three. Yeah. So here we go again with uh, your, you naming a guy. And then I'm like, okay, to follow that up, that's who I have next. So between Steph and Oscar, there's two guys that you have just one spot higher than I have them. Um, Oscar's number four to me. And I mean, I hate to just repeat you over and over again, but like, my, I think what you said at the beginning of that, when you were kind of responding to Isaiah Thomas, does well to sum up 
the difference in like my having Oscar at four. This is where we get into what do you value more? And like you said, I prioritized Isaiah Thomas's two championships in that era. And then when I look at Oscar and I see the one championship in 1971, where you were, he was balling. The stats are there. The stats are undeniable. He has one of the best career stat lines in NBA history uh, on a, on a season by season basis, if not like raw total. Um, yeah, you get the, you spend the, basically the whole sixties balling out of your mind. Then you win your one championship where you're not the best player on that team because Kareem shows up and it's like 23 year old Kareem, (laughs) uh, something like that. Um, so it's like, I mean, I hate to just sound like a hater, but it, it's kind of that narrative of like, oh, you were doing well, but you needed someone else to get you there. And that someone else was like, I mean, granted, one of the best players in NBA history, uh, our number one center ever in a, a big driven league at the time. But still, that, that hurts his legacy just a little bit to me. I feel like you had the same, it was kind of the same thing with Jerry West for you, where you were yeah. like, you only won one out of all those times. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, like Isaiah Thomas was probably the best player on the, the Pistons at the time, but that doesn't mean that like he was like dragging the other, like his teammates kicking and screaming to the championship either. Yeah, I guess to like, just to clarify and to be a little more fair to him. I don't want to say that he was drag kicking and screaming. Mean, we love that phrase on this podcast. Um, but yeah, I don't want to say that I'm that he was dragged helplessly to the finals. Uh, just that he was the the Robin on the finals team, whereas like Isaiah was, while he had a great supporting cast, he was the Batman. Um, the other thing I'll say about Oscar Robertson, you mentioned the the triple double, uh, the thirty point triple double season that that. That was in his second season. Um, but if you look at like his first five seasons, like let me just read this out rapid fire. Season one, 30, nine and a half, 10. Uh, then of course the 30, 11 and 12 and a half, then 28, nine and a half, 10 and a half, 31 and a half, 11 and 9.9. And then 30.4, 11 and a half, nine. If you average all of that together, it averages as it averages out to five straight triple double seasons with thirty points. So, like two seasons, he was better at rebounding statistically, and two seasons he was better getting assists. But if you put it all together, it's five straight thirty point triple double seasons. So, like he deserves even more credit than he gets for for doing that. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um. So yeah. Uh, so that brings to your number four. Yeah, my number four. Um, this one was pretty tough for me because I put John Stockton here and it was very difficult for me to, um, cause it's, I have Stockton, Isaiah Thomas and Chris Paul are the three that I have left for two spots left. And, I ended up going with Stockton at number four really for one reason and one reason alone is that theoretically, if you're thinking about 
a like pure point guard. You're looking for playmaking slash assists and you're like on the offensive end and you're looking for a perimeter defense slash steals on the defensive end. And he has far and away the most assists and steals in NBA history to the point where I'm not saying it'll never happen, but it'll be very, very, very difficult for anyone to be able to catch those numbers. And for his career, he did average a double-double, 13 points, 10.5 assists, and he averaged over two steals per game. I think a lot of the time we look at like the peak, um, you know, these players who um, had a few really, really good seasons, uh, and that kind of separated them. In John Stockton's case, it was his longevity, um, which I think you can kind of say the same thing about Kareem and about LeBron um, with the points record, with obviously them being so, so good for so long. But with Stockton, it was with assists and steals. And, you know, you look at the 13 points a game, and that doesn't scream top five point guard of all time. But again, the counting stats really add up. In his favor, literally. Um, and to be fair to him, he was a 10-time NBA All-Star. Um, he made an All-NBA team 11 times, All-Defensive team 5 times, <laughs> led the league in assists for 9 straight seasons from 1988 to 1996, and led the NBA in steals twice, too. So, like, he... I mean, obviously, like, there are these counting stats, but he was still the best in the NBA at these two things for extended period of time as well. So you have to give him credit for that. Um, really the big blemish is that he and Carl Malone were not able to get over the hump and win a, a championship. They, and theoretically they should have considering both of them are arguably top five at their position and played together for so long. So that is a big downside to it. But when it comes to the counting stats, I I can't not give John Stockton a spot in my top five. So, okay, a couple things about John Stockton. Um, yeah, the counting stats may very well never be caught uh, for career totals. The nine-time-in-a-row leading league in assists is outlandish. And fun fact, among players in NBA history at 6-1 or shorter, he has the most win shares in NBA history. Not only that, he has over twice as many as the second place. So that's wild. Um, also love the stories about him. Like, players just like, he doesn't look like he should be tough, but he's like the toughest guy ever. He'll get, like, drive his minivan to the game and then and then score and just like take you to town which is just funny mm-hmm. um speaking of speaking of guys like earlier that we were talking about like oh yeah i mean not in a mean way but like unassuming athletically uh slash physically it's just some six one dude that looks like he should just you know be working at the bank or something <laughs> and uh he like through game study and technique becomes an all-time great 
uh, NBA legend, you know. And I'm struggling. You know, I'm down to one spot, and I have three players in my head. So it would actually kind of help me uh, if you would do your number five next, if you don't mind. I mean, I, I kind of do mind. <laughs> oh, you I, mind? Okay. I mean, I, I can. Why don't you go ahead and say which three players you're thinking of? We've got Stockton. We've got Chris Paul. We've got Steve Nash. Okay. Now, well, I understand that Steve Nash is the underdog there. I understand I'm biased. That is my favorite player ever. This is also my top five. Uh, it so certainly is. I will do whatever I darn well please. Uh, that said, I'm still working it out in my head. Okay. Um, um, well, how about this? Um, I'm not going to talk about Steve Nash, so you can you can talk about him and you can do that part. But I'll kind of go back and forth between um, Isaiah Thomas and Chris Paul and try to decide. And at least you'll hear my thoughts on Chris Paul. And you already heard about Stockton. So, um, so here's my issue. You already said a lot about Isaiah Thomas. What we kind of already went over that a decent amount. He's got the two championships um, in that era. He still has like 12 NBA All-Star appearances. Um, widely recognized as one of the the best point guards ever, especially um, a guy who's like six one. And, uh, but I'm looking at his stats and I'm looking at Chris Paul's stats. And then also their, like the awards that they've won. Now, Chris Paul, it's tough. Obviously his um, lack of a ring has been well, very well documented. Um, and there are plenty of players out there who are Hall of Famers, and Chris Paul will be a first ballot Hall of Famer, no question. Um, but we talk about legacy a lot too, and he had his chance with the Suns, finally made it to the finals, and Giannis was just too much for him. Um, not to mention, he always seems to get injured, which I just feel bad for him. So like, sad. Like... <clears throat> in that Rockets team that he was on with Harden, like they were really close to beating the Warriors that season two. Um, when we thought that the Warriors could not be beat, they took them to seven games. So like credit to, to them as well. But here's, here's the thing. Chris Paul matches uh, Isaiah Thomas and all-star appearances with 12. However, he's got seven all defensive first team awards and and two all defensive second team so nine in total and isaiah thomas nothing no defensive team uh nominations i mean he averaged almost two steals per game it wasn't like he was a bad defender but he was never recognized and never at the level of chris paul in that aspect and we talk about defense a lot and how 
that really is half of the game. And I look at Chris Paul as one of the best two-way, not even just point guards, but guards in general in NBA history. The fact that he's led the, the NBA in assists five times, he's led the NBA in steals six times, and that's not a, uh, what what did you call it before? When a, somebody leads the the league in steals. Oh, um, opportunistic. Yeah, um, Chris Paul is legitimately a good defend, a very good defender. And all this being like he's listed at six foot. Uh, maybe he's five eleven instead. Uh, <laughs> to be honest, he is not the most athletically gifted guy uh, and yet his IQ his tenacity his um, his tendency to be an asshole at times like um, he really has like developed this reputation um, of someone who you really like playing with but also you don't like playing with at the same time. Um, it's it's just kind of hard because he hasn't won the ring. His counting stats are very, very good, um, and he's still going. I mean, the injuries have become more and more of, a, of an issue, but for his career, he's averaging 18 points, 9.5 assists, 4.5 rebounds. Um, Isaiah Thomas is almost exactly the same. Um yeah, 19 points, 9.3 assists, 3.6 rebounds. So it's very, very close um, in that aspect. So really, I think it comes down to Isaiah Thomas winning those two championships versus Chris Paul's two-way effectiveness um, and how long he's been doing it. I feel like Chris Paul is definitely a, like, Contra- not not necessarily a controversial player, but people have very strong opinions about him. They're very divided. I, I would say divisive player, actually. I've always been on the side of, I really enjoy watching Chris Paul play. I think it's hilarious that he's just, like, correcting the refs about little-known rules in the rule book that no one else pays attention to. Um, he's just always looking for whatever edge that he has, like, that he can find to get over on the opposition or to make his teammates better or whatever. Um, and in terms of playmaking, like he's the best playmaker of this generation, but those two championships though, uh, <laughs> that you, and you already mentioned it. So, uh, I think I'm going to go Isaiah Thomas at number five, even though I want to say Chris Paul, because I do like him. Um, and I think that, Overall, he's actually underappreciated by the media, by fans um, who maybe don't appreciate some of those uh, at, like aspects of his personality or whatever. But I think I'm going to have to go with Isaiah Thomas at number five because of the championships and you know some of the other things that, that you mentioned. But it's very close for me. Okay. When I'm looking at John Stockton, Chris Paul, and Steve Nash as the three candidates for my number five spot. Postseason success, 
we'll call it a wash, right? Because none of them have won a championship. Um, I will say, I I understand John Stockton, the era, all the great players around him, but Carl Malone on your team for like 16 years, I think. Uh, that's a long time for the two of y'all to not win. Uh, and can we agree that Carl Malone is the best teammate of any of these three players ever? Uh, well, no, actually we can't because Nash played with Dirk for a few years. However, I will maintain that was pre-prime for both of them. Um, Carl Malone had his whole career with John Stockton. Uh, so that one's kind of tough to me. Um, I think the other issue there is like, I can't even say like, oh yeah, well, sure. I guess it makes sense that John Stockton and Malone didn't win because that, you know, Jordan was running around. They only made it to the finals twice. They actually had more uh, first round exits than they did conference championship appearances. That's sad. Um, because at that level, it's not the Lakers knocking y'all out. You know, <laughs> there ain't no seven or eight seed Lakers with all y'all's regular season success. So, oh man, that's tough, but it's not like I can be like, well, yeah, but Nash has the championship. The four guys I placed ahead of these three at least have a championship to, uh, on their resume. Um, Nash has two MVPs. Chris Paul has none. Stockton has none. I don't, I hear you saying, yeah, but those MVPs are controversial because of LeBron and Shaq and Co. Shut up. He has them. That's all I'm going to say to that. You want to go scream at the voting committee? You want to take a time machine back 15, 16 years? Be my guest. He has them on his resume. Um, This one's more subjective. The eye test is way more fun for me. Like Nash's highlights are more fun. Um, they're more like they have more of a wow factor to me. And that is nothing negative about Stockton or Chris Paul because their highlights are fun to watch too. Nash feels more like spectacular in a way, um, just aesthetically. Um, he also fits the mold of what we've talked about with these other two of not being this like physically imposing freak athlete, you know, that's, that's for darn sure. Um, and I guess the last thing I'll say to Nash's credit is 50, 40, 90 club. Uh, you know, when you go the whole season, you shoot 50, 50 plus percent from the field, 40 plus percent from three, 90 plus uh, percent from the free throw line. Here's a list of guys that have done that multiple times in their career. Larry Bird did it twice. Steve Nash did it four times. Literally one of the most efficient shooters in history. Now he had plenty of other seasons where like, you know, he almost had it, but like literally he had a season where he qualified for three point and field goal and he had 89.9% from the free throw line. Another season where like He's he had the other... <laughs> Didn't clutch up and make that last free throw. Honestly. He, uh, he had another season where he had the free throws and the field goal percentage and shot like 39.7 from three. So like, come on. Um, 
Not to mention, you know how this season and last season, uh, Jokic is like when his when he's on the court, his team is like top three in the league in like virtually every offensive metric, and then when he leaves, his team is like bottom five. That was the Steve Nash Suns, uh, coined the or pioneered the seven seconds or less. You know, like he, like it wasn't Showtime. But like that was a, the new like iteration of like fast scoring, high pace, fast break offense. <sighs> but then there's the defense, right? Chris Paul has the defense. Stockton has the defense. Nash doesn't. Also, I feel like we should point out. I don't think you've read this out yet. Nash's career stats: fourteen point three points, three rebounds, eight and a half assists. So, oh, you know, a little more in terms of um, scoring than Stockton, fewer assists. And then for Chris Paul, doesn't compare in points, rebounds, or assists. Yeah. Um, I think... Now this is... You can hear this as a benefit or like a credit to Chris Paul or Steve Nash. I guess it just depends on like your stance on it um nash is a has a bit more of a bell curve going on with his stats where like chris paul comes in immediately produces or is an immediate impact player uh and remains that to this day nash due to injuries fell off hard his last three years and took four years or his first four years he was coming off the bench uh behind jason kidd kevin johnson and uh for like two of those years, Sam Cassell as well. Um, so the, his stats will be dragged down a little bit by that. He did lead the league in assists five times. Three of those other times that he didn't, he still averaged double-digit assists. You know what? Steve Nash, five. Send me the I knew hit. it. I don't care. I knew I it. I don't care. I don't care. Um, hey, hey, it's it's like you said, it's your top five. And that's what's good about this segment that I think is um is fun is it really comes down to personal preference and sure you can you can say, eh, I'm I'm not so sure that Steve Nash should beat out Stockton or Chris Paul, but it doesn't matter because you know it's my top five and then that's your top five and that's just how it is so respect for putting your guy in there um and i think the the one other thing to say there is and uh not to add stats to this just like at least we're explaining or like justifying why we're putting it there you know i'm not just saying like number five steve nash end of discussion you know like you've heard my thought process you've heard the rationale if you disagree that's fine 100%. But this is why I said it. For sure. So just to recap, uh, my top five point guards, number one, Steph Curry, number two, Magic Johnson, number three, Oscar Robertson, number four, John Stockton, number five, by a sliver, Isaiah Thomas. And then for mine, I had number one, Magic Johnson, number two, Steph Curry, 
number three, Isaiah Thomas, number four, Oscar Robertson, and number five, decided live on on the air here, Steve Nash. So, and we, we predicted this as well, I think going into it, this is by far the most different that we've had our top fives when we've as we've been doing this we didn't have a single player in the exact same spot which is interesting wow yeah i didn't yeah i didn't process that but yeah how about that uh not even at number one go figure um yeah so we have officially finished all five positions now in a future episode not too far from now we're gonna take on a bit of a, a challenge that here and we're going to marry these together top five nba players in nba history it'll be a struggle it will be subjective and you will disagree i'm sure probably yeah <laughs> someone will right like all i'm saying is I understand Steve Nash made it into your top five point cards. <laughs> Do not put him in your top five of all time, please. Well, given he he only managed to make number five, there's you know my top <laughs> the top five players ever. Just replay my point guard discussion. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> if you're not a point guard, all jokes aside. We will end up with a top, our own top five players of all time in a future episode, uh, if not episode 48, then 49. So be on the lookout. And as always, let us know your thoughts on our top five point guards of all time. Um, I mean, you literally have to disagree with one of us, you know, since we had entirely different top fives. And let us know your top five point guards of all time. If you disagree... Let us know why, you know, uh, you can do that on our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mike and Dave pod. And we would love to hear your thoughts, but, uh, when we come back, we will get into the hot seat and the fun facts. Stick around. Okay, everybody, it's time to get into the hot seat and the fun fact like we do to close out every episode. And man, do I have to say picking a hot seat candidate for this week not even candidate who actually made it on the hot seat was very difficult because there were so many candidates to choose from. I mean, we had friggin' Shannon Sharp and the Grizzlies. That was just a really weird situation. I mean, we had the whole Usain Bolt thing. We had all the stuff going on with the U S men's national team and the coach. If you haven't seen all that information, um, look it up because it is like soap opera type stuff. I mean, it is ridiculous. Um, however, one story in particular, one headline literally caught our eye, and we just had to pick this one, um, and you'll see why in a second. Mike, which candidate ended up beating out everyone else for the hot seat this week? Listen, man, if you're scrolling through and you see an article titled grand theft scooter are you gonna tell me you're not clicking on that right away 100 percent. like like i'll be honest right like the u.s national team story is crazy um but if i'm 
looking at headlines and I see, oh, drama unfolding with U.S. men's national, I'm not, I might be like, eh, I, can, I might look at that later, you know, if I have some time on my lunch break. I see Grand Theft Scooter, I'm like, no, uh-huh, uh-uh, I gotta see this right now. So, unfortunately, we actually kind of have a hot seat where we don't have the name of a perpetrator to put on it. But here's what happened. Terry Francona, the manager of the Cleveland Guardians, man's like 73 years old, and he likes to ride his motorized scooter from his apartment to the games. And he's like famous in Cleveland for like riding around and waving at people. A couple years ago, they did a, a promotional campaign where they did a, a Terry Francona on a bobble, like on his scooter as a bobblehead, which how do I get one? <laughs> I'm not even a, I'm not even a fan. I Cleveland is a stupid city, but like, I, I want that bobblehead. Um, his scooter got stolen. <laughs> Come on, man. That's not cool. This man is like sick. You know, he's like, he has trouble moving around. I mean, th- like, this guy has had like many health problems over the past few seasons and has had to take time off, um, to deal with them. And like the bench coach or whatever had to step in and, and, like for him while he was getting treatment and everything. So like, not only is he like older, but he's also has all these health problems. All this man wants to do is hop on his scooter and ride it to the ballpark to, to work this poor. Yeah, honestly. And like, you're telling me that some Clevelander is that's who you're going to go after. I mean, come on, man, that, that is, that is terrible. If you're listening to this podcast and you stole Terry Francona's scooter, we demand that you return it immediately and you turn yourself in, okay? Because... But before you do, leave us that five-star <laughs> yeah, rating. Yeah, definitely. Do that. Um, but, yeah, that is that is disrespectful, uh, honestly. Like, this guy has been so good for the Guardians. I mean, somehow they made it to the playoffs and no one was expecting the Guardians to make the playoffs before the season started. Um, and Terry Francona is a very, very solid manager, won the World Series twice with the Boston Red Sox. So he's accomplished. He's old. He's sickly. Just leave the man alone and give his scooter back, honestly. Like, this is a, this is shocking behavior. I haven't really... I- I didn't realize until you said it. I haven't said that's disrespectful in quite a while. Much, what's more, we haven't done a segment in an even longer I while. Know. But if ever a time to bust it out, it's now. That's disrespectful. Why are you? Why are you disrespecting the elderly? They worked hard to like get to this point and like survive. And you know, that's all he wants to do. He just it's the little things in life. You know, he's trying to enjoy the cool. Heavily polluted <laughs> smog air. He's doing his part to cleanse <laughs> the, the city of its smog by driving around this motorized scooter instead of taking a cab or driving his car. And now you've robbed him of that. Wait, let me slap myself so I can. Let me slap myself so I can say this with a straight face. He's trying to enjoy the beautiful sights of Cleveland, Ohio. He takes a scenic route to work on his scooter, one hundred percent. Come on. Come on, man. That ain't right. So 
when we saw this, it was just like, yeah, we've got to bring attention to this. We need justice, you know? Where's the... I'm, I'm a blanket on... Where's the petition? You know, I'll sign it. Get, I'll electronically sign a petition to buy this man a new scooter. I won't. I'm sure he's a millionaire. Like, he can afford to buy a new one. It's just, like, the principle of it. Like, come on, this guy is, like, a beloved figure in Cleveland. What, why are you picking on him? I didn't say I'd donate money. Oh, yeah, I said that I'd is sign true. Uh, fair enough. So, like, not a GoFundMe, but, a like, you're not going to donate to that, but a petition you can electronically sign your name to. That's the level of commitment that we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, I'll put my name to it, but not my debit okay. card, okay? I got stuff Fair to enough. pay for. Now, I was going to say, now what I will put my debit card to is days, but no, I, I'm on a budget I was about here. to say. Uh, what I've I will a, also put my name to, hit, though, is, <laughs> so do I, man, but I'm not using it for that. I got bills, but... Now, what I will put my name to, hey, I'd sign a petition for more of these, actually. Dave's fun fact. All right. This is rare in this segment that this happens, but I actually have a sports-related fun fact this week. Not only that, Mm -hmm. but it's an NBA-related fun fact. Not only that, but it is a top five. It's a player who was on one of our top five lists not not today but in previous in a previous episode it is related to this guy okay will chamberlain we've already you know if if you haven't already listened to us talk about him then by all means go ahead and listen to whatever episode that was you scroll on spotify you'll find it um he is definitely one of those like larger than life characters um, in many ways. Um, specifically, the fact that he is just a monstrous human being. Okay. I did not realize this, and I'm pretty sure that we did not, that you, I know I, know I didn't mention it. I'm pretty sure you did not mention this when we were talking about Wilt Chamberlain. Previously on this episode, we were talking about how Steph is kind of redefined how the game is played with the three-point shot and how that hasn't really happened too many other times in NBA history. Well, Wilt Chamberlain had a similar effect on the game, but I kind of got a kick out of out of this one. So, Wilt Chamberlain was so large and his legs were so long that when he was playing... He could literally straddle the paint so that he wouldn't get a three-second violation because his legs were so long that he technically wasn't standing in the paint. So the league literally had to change the dimensions of the paint to make it so that he couldn't do that anymore because it was so unfair. Which, a couple of points to this. Number one... I just find that absolutely hilarious. <laughs> this guy just like with his legs all spread out and just like that. That's some like Chris Paul type 
type thing of like, <laughs> oh yeah, well, let me just find this one little like thing, uh, loophole. But also, no wonder he was so dominant. No wonder he grabbed so many rebounds. This man was always, <laughs> could always just be under the basket whenever he wanted to. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was so funny and i'd never heard that before or read that before anywhere so shout out to wilt for changing that um and yeah i just thought that was amusing i can assure you i did not say that when we were on that episode because i had not heard that before either but that is hilarious (laughs) just like had it not like had they not changed that rule, you just have like Giannis or something now, just like standing like a eagle spread across the paint. He's doing the snowflake <laughs> maneuver or the jumping jack. <laughs> Him and uh, Rudy Gobert, which is yeah, jumping yeah. jack. I don't know why I said snowflake. Why snow angel is what I meant. Of like doing you know that motion or like uh, yeah. nope, you're not getting past me. Um, yeah, that is kind of funny to think about. Yeah. Um, wow. That. Well, I'm glad because uh, I think the paint. Just like picturing the NBA now with a narrow paint, like that is incredibly necessary. But I'm. I wasn't even thinking about like from the aspect of straddling it, just from the standpoint of like getting in and out and like having to cover a certain amount of ground. Um, yeah. Uh, much improved, but that is so funny that that's the reason for it. For sure. But yeah, that is going to wrap up the episode for this week. Um, We appreciate everyone listening. As we already plugged before, you can um, let us know what you thought about our top fives or anything else that you'd like to see after also just, I guess, uh, um, some housekeeping. After we do our top five NBA players of all time, probably probably that'll be episode 49 uh, episode 50 is when we're going to get back into our like normal top fives which if you're new or you've only been listening for the past you know 10 15 episodes or whatever we probably haven't done what we would consider a normal top five in that amount of time but what we normally do is a bunch of random types of things that are like generally sports related but not necessarily like ranking players or anything like that so if you have any ideas for a top five that we could do or that you would like to hear uh, then please let us know on social because we're going to get back into doing that every five episodes moving forward and we really like doing those and we'd like to hear what what y'all come up with or what y'all are interested in listening to in case you are newer and you're thinking like what do you mean random just a couple examples we've done in the past we've done like top five favorite sports uniforms we've done uh top five favorite sports video games you know uh so anything to that effect of like a subjective top five that's sports related for sure and also if you have not already if you would leave us a five-star rating or review that would be much appreciated especially considering that the person who stole terry francona's scooter has probably not left us one be the better person and leave us one in his or her stead. We would appreciate it. We would absolutely appreciate it. There are just, yeah, a few things that we want out of this episode. We want the five-star review. We want 
are social, followed, and liked. We want the scooter returned to its rightful owner. And we want you to stick around for future episodes because they're only going to get better from this. But until that point, this has been Mike. This has been Dave, and you've been listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast.